Odor, controlling the net is empty. He throws it down, and in! he scores a goal. Martin Brodeur. The hockey gods are Red Wing fans too. It appears. Okay, and welcome back to another episode of Shut Your Five Hole and Listen, the podcast where we teach you about hockey and talk you about all of the news. Yes. We have a lot of news today. A lot of news, yes. But first, who are you? Well, I am Muffy. I am the Red Wings fan here at Shut Your Five Hole. What about you, Stephanie? (laughs) I'm Stephanie. I'm the Devils fan. And we both enjoy the Tampa Bay Lightning. We do. Because we live in Florida. (laughs) Yes. And we had to pick a Florida team and Tampa's close to us. And we started going to the games like right when they were on their upward trajectory. So that was awesome. That was awesome. It's not so awesome right now. Although they're not they're not as bad as I thought they were gonna be, but No, no, they're having a decent season. It's not you know, we're not I will be very surprised if we make it to the Stanley Cup, but I digress. <laughs> we have a lot of news to talk about today. We do have a lot of news. This is what happens when we delay our recording a week. We just get bombarded <laughs> with news. <laughs> so let's kick things off by talking about a thing that ESPN tried to create some excitement around the broadcast and to get people watching live and in real time, which was the Frozen Frenzy. The Frozen Frenzy. Can we talk about how dumb the name is? The name is really dumb, and but you also have to remember that ESPN is owned by Disney, so. <laughs> it is very Disney-esque. There was lots of alliteration, and I was expecting Elsa to just pop up at any moment. <laughs> um, but all 32 teams played in one night. Um, so 16 games starting at like 6 o'clock Eastern time. And staggered start times about every 15 minutes throughout the evening. What did you think? I thought it was cool. I liked kind of the cutting in and out between the different games. I thought that was fun. Um, but there were times that like they would cut into the game that I was expecting something big to happen. And then it was like, oh, nope. Never mind. And we moved on to the next game. So I think I think for an out of the gate run, it went as well as it could. And but I think they have some kinks to work out if they're going to do something like that again. Yeah, I think I hope they do it again. I actually thought it was really fun. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't have cable, so I did not watch the broadcast that had Mark Messier and P.K. Subban, like the main feed that was on TV. So I watched what was streaming on ESPN Plus with Kevin Weeks and I cannot remember the other guy's name. Um so and that was just all popping in, popping out of every single and I liked it. I thought it was fun. Well, the Mark Messier broadcast was only at the very beginning. Then it switched to the Kevin Weeks one on cable oh, okay. as well. So I didn't miss too much. <laughs> you didn't miss too much. It was only, I think, like the first hour of that Washington Capitals game that kicked things off at six. That was um, the Mark Messier broadcast. Mm. Well, I thought it was a cool concept. I thought it was fun. I agree. I think there were times where they popped into certain games and they thought something was going to happen and then it didn't. But I guess that's live sports but it was fun watching them tally up how many goals were happening you really did 
hockey is a fast paced game and you notice that when you're at the game it feels very fast but sometimes on tv it doesn't feel as fast as it is and i felt like this gave a casual viewer someone who might not be a super fan like the feeling more of like Mm -hmm. what happens when you're at a game yeah because you were definitely getting those highlight real moments versus you know when they're doing a line change and the player's standing behind the net with a puck waiting for everybody to complete the change. So you're, yeah. you weren't getting like those pauses in the game. And I agree with you. It definitely makes it seem like it was going faster. I also really like that they did. I thought they did a really good job of educating about how the game works that they mm-hmm. don't typically do in your average broadcast, like explaining the rules, explaining what icing was, like kind of what we do here, which was probably mm-hmm. why I thought it was fun. <laughs> um, but I, I think, and not just in hockey, I think in a lot of professional sports broadcasting, they they assume that you know what's happening going in. They assume that if you're watching the broadcast, you know what's happening on the field, on the ice, on the court. And that's not always the case and I feel like a lot of times that is a barrier to someone who might not have grown up with the sport because you you watch it and you're like what what is happening I would agree with that and I feel like so I've been taking a sports casting class and it within that that isn't actually something they teach you about like educating your viewer it's very much like getting the information out quickly because you only have you know 30 seconds to talk about this game before you have to move on to the next game when you're talking about sports highlights. So that's a very good point. And I feel like that is probably something that future sportscasters should be educated on and not to make an entire sports cast out of it, but to at least have those moments to help bring in those new viewers. It added an element to color commentary. Mm -hmm. You know, when you watch any sport, there's usually a color commentary person and the play by play person. The color commentary person, again, is always coming from that you know the team you're watching, you know the sport you're watching, and I think there were opportunities that they really used to their advantage in this of explaining and trying to make it accessible and trying to really create fans, which I thought was cool. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I agree. So we'll see what happens with the Frozen Frenzy. I hope it comes back. I really do. And now that Disney... I think is going to have a pretty is going to buy a major stake in Hulu or buy all of Comcast more to come on that. I think it might be cool to see if it crosses between multiple different streaming platforms too. Like what are they going to yeah. do? Um anyway, I thought it was cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, moving on, we also had our first outdoor game of the season. The Battle for Alberta. <laughs> Yes, the Heritage Classic, um, and I. <laughs> this was the Edmonton Oilers and the Calgary Flames facing off against each other, um, and Edmonton, um, they definitely took it to the Flames. They really did. I mean, you've got it, – it's two teams that – one has been a solid powerhouse for a while, Edmonton. Mm-hmm. The Flames mm-hmm. have been up and down. Um, I think similar to the Red Wings and the Devils, they've been in a rebuilding year for like five years or so <laughs> or more. <laughs> and I, uh, this game made it feel like they were still still there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
But, you know, the Oilers didn't have the greatest start at the season. So the fact that they won this game, too, was also like a nice little confidence boost for them because I think everyone expected them to come out of the gate a little bit heavier than they did. That is true. And I I think what is great about all of these games, the outdoor games, is it kind of brings things back to, like, the spirit of hockey in general. And I think for a lot of players, it brings – and there's a lot of nostalgia factor Mm -hmm. to it and, you know – we all watch these games in a climate-controlled arena, even if it is chilly. Um, you know, there is something fun about being outside watching a game. And I think mm-hmm. I like when they do the outside games and they have these rivalries or even just like two right. Canadian teams playing each other or like the stadium series is going to be that it's essentially the like where I grew up. It was the tri-state area. So it's like the tri-state area on showcase. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's cool. So I, I, I was, I was, I was impressed by Edmonton's run. I think, I think hopefully that sets them up for a good, a good season. I don't know. Yeah. I think when you win one of those games, there's a bit more of a fire under your butt. It gives you a I little think bit so of too. pep in your step. Yes. Now let's move on to a team who is not winning any games. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> They are not. Buffy, what is happening with the San Jose Sharks? I have no idea what is happening with the San Jose Sharks. We are recording here on Sunday, November 5th. And at time of recording, the poor San Jose Sharks have not won a game. No. They've tied They've tied one. I hope by the time that this pod comes out, they will have won <laughs> one. But to put that into perspective of what that means, so there are, there are three Hughes brothers Jack Hughes, who is arguably the best player in the NHL right now, although he did just get injured, and that makes me very nervous. Luke Hughes, the younger brother, who is a defenseman, who is also on the New Jersey Devils with Jack, and then Quinn, the oldest brother, who is on the Vancouver Canucks. Combined, this these three brothers have more points than the entire San Jose Sharks team. It's really sad. It's so sad. What is happening? I don't know. I don't know. What I'm also shocked at is I feel like when stuff like this happens, you're usually seeing heads roll like quick. Right. Like, they're not. So <laughs> I don't I don't know what's going on there. It's crazy. We'll have to look it up. This is, I don't know if this is like a record or anything, but it's got to be demoralizing. Oh, it's absolutely demoralizing absolutely demoralizing i started watching because i fell asleep because mm-hmm. west coast games are are late for me sometimes mm-hmm. i started watching that game against vancouver and it was at san jose and the stadium was empty <clears throat> so it's like on top of it you're losing and your fans aren't showing up and it's yeah i just feel like it's just compounding itself <laughs> Yeah, and I mean the Sharks did not have a great year last year either. No. They they ended the year 22, 44 and 16. So, you didn't even win half your games. No, but this is bad. It's real bad. So, we'll see. Real bad. <laughs> we'll see. Cuz it wasn't too long ago where people were thinking like could they be a cup contender, you know, in the Joe Thornton Brent Burns day like just who Joe Thornton just announced his retirement too. He did. He did, which is I think he's like the last player from when I was a kid 
to retire. Which shows you how old Joe Thornton is. <laughs> but he was a great player when he was playing. So. Yeah. Yes, he was. So, yeah, we'll keep you posted on the San Jose Sharks. I feel like I'm, I'm, I want to become an honorary Sharks fan just to... Just, just to yeah. put some good vibes out there for them. Right? Ooh, they gosh. need some posy vibes. They really do. Well, speaking of posy vibes, um, Muffy, what's going on with Pride Tape? <laughs> well, at um, the beginning of the season, the NHL had um, banned any on-ice gear surrounding theme nights and causes and while it was a blanket statement, we know it was geared at Pride Tape and the Pride Nights. But they have since reversed that. They have. And to give context, this was around Pride Nights last year, there was a handful of players that for religious reasons, I'm using air quotes here because some of them, some of them might have been legitimate religious reasons, but I feel like you were, all of these players have been playing for a long time before they started saying anything, mm -hmm. refused to participate. Um, so then the NHL made a blanket statement on any of them. Yes. And then that extended to the, the tape, which was totally something they could have done on, players could have done on their own anyway. Um, and Muffy... What happened? How, why did they make this reversal? Well, there had been outcry from many teams and many leagues, a lot of the minor leagues and other professional leagues were not pleased with what the NHL was doing. But um, Travis Dermont of the Arizona Coyotes played with pride tape on his stick despite the ban. And guess what? The next day... The NHL reversed their stance. Yep. What I love about this mm -hmm. is it is a almost no-name player yep. making, you know, a smaller salary. This was not your Sidney Crosby's, your mm -mm. Uh, Connor McDavid's, your Austin Matthews. This was somebody that hardly anyone knows who has a whole lot more to lose because yep. he's not making the salaries, doesn't have the name, that put his foot down and said I don't care what you say I'm I'm supporting the cause I want to support yeah and I I think that speaks volumes I mean anyone can do the whole point of all of this is everyone should be able to do and support things that they are enthusiastic about things that push the game movements forward if that's what what feels right to them mm -hmm. but when you're not making millions of dollars to stand up to something like that, if they did not reverse this stance, it could have meant that he was out games. It could have meant that he lost a substantial amount of money. Mm -hmm. I mean, when players unions go on strike, it's they're rarely going on strike for the Connor McDavid's, for the Austin Matthews. They're going on strike for these guys because they don't they don't make as much money. They often aren't in the league as long. So to stand up and say this is wrong. And do it, and especially do it on a team that we've talked about a lot, has had a lot of issues of their own of just getting enthusiasm for the team around Arizona. Yeah. I think this is really impressive. And he he deserves a lot more praise than I think he got. I think the queer community really rallied around him, which I thought was great. Um, I, I really... I really commend him. So hats off to you, Travis. Yes, Dermot. absolutely. I know 
know who you are and i am a fan we're fans we are fans fans. if you ever want to come talk to us let us know yeah for (laughs) sure (laughs) so um this is like a big switching jump because this Mm -hmm. is not a happy story probably you've probably heard about this already but we wanted to dive a little deeper into this um adam johnson who was playing in the elite ice hockey league in the uk there was a horrific accident where he took a blade to the neck and Mm -hmm. died um he played 13 games in the nhl with the penguins this is this is a guy who's just playing a sport who he loves, trying to make a living. Back to those guys who are not multimillionaires, you know, playing in Europe. Um, and it was just a f- freak, horrible thing that happened. But in the aftermath of that, there have been a lot of social media posts. There's been a lot of media t- chatter about whether or not leagues and are going to make neck guards which could have prevented this mandatory um so love you want to tell people where that we're where we're at with that yeah so there are a few leagues who have decided that they are going to mandate neck guards um the whl um is probably the closest to home for us with Mm -hmm. that um and then the english ice hockey association is planning to mandate it However, they do not govern the elite ice hockey league that this happened in. And the EIHL is not planning on making net guards mandatory, which is interesting when they're the league that it happened to. Yeah. But at the same time, we've seen these types of injuries before. Not often, but there's a... Very historic case in the NHL with a goaltender who had happened to who survived and played games again like a couple weeks later, which was miraculous and amazing. But I don't know if I don't know where we go from here. And I don't think a lot of leagues know where we go from here. No. And I think if they do become mandatory, I think it's going to be a long time. I think it's going to be over generations. I think Mm -hmm. it's going to be one of those things you know, we talked about helmets last episode. Mm-hmm. Um, there's probably going to be things where it starts off in lower leagues, definitely, you know, mm-hmm. around kids. I, there is a big difference, too. If you're a kid growing up wearing a neck guard, you're more likely to just continue to wear it because it's part of what part of what you do. Yeah, and there are a lot of kids' leagues who do. I saw a Tampa Bay Times article that came out um, just this past week that the area high schools were going to start mandating it. Mm-hmm. Um, I know Hockey Canada does for their youth organizations. Um, the t- uh, Hockey U- USA Hockey and the NCAA do not, but there are some college players who choose to wear them. So I can definitely see it being a generational thing too and there are already some nhl guys who are starting to wear one tj Oshie is probably the most well-known who has Mm -hmm. started wearing one and has said he is making this decision because of his kids and if there's anything that he can do to make it so he's there to watch his kids grow up he's gonna try to do it 
Yeah. Um, so we'll keep watching it. Um, and we'll we'll see how it goes. I mean, it's a hor- it's horrible. It's horrible. It's absolutely there's no horrible. way around that. No, that's a horrible way to die. That's a horrible thing to have happen to an arena full of people watching. Like, right. That is and they just... did evacuate the arena when it happened. Yeah. So I, I think everyone did the right thing in the moment. We'll just see where it nets out. Yeah. So what do you know why NHL players don't wear neck protection? Well, when I was looking into this topic a little bit, I did find an article in the Seattle Times that basically said a lot of NHL players abandoned the neck guards for comfort reasons once they turn pro. Mm. And I'll read this quote from here that says, it might sound trivial, but at the highest pro levels, when athletes compete for jobs that pay millions of dollars, they don't want anything detracting from their production. And players for years have complained that neck protection equipment is bulky, distracting, and too hot. Which... I am sure, though, there are a lot of guys who made the same argument around helmets. Probably. So we'll see. We will see what happens. Mm-hmm. Well, why don't we switch over to women's hockey? Yes, and end this section on a little bit of a lighter note. Um, so the teams have names. They do not technically yet. So here's <laughs> what happened. Okay, what happened? What What happened? The So we recently talked about the Professional Women's Hockey League and how this will kick off in January. Yes. And um, the uh, a reporter out of Detroit did some sleuthing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and found the PWHL had filed trademarks for six names. Oh, okay, okay. I see, I see. So the names have not actually been announced. We... Don't know if these are the names for sure, but this is what is being speculated, again, as of time of recording on November 5th. We're just spilling some tea here is what we're doing. We are just spilling some tea. (laughs) So here are the names on the table. The Toronto Torch. I don't get that. See, that's this is the only one I like. (laughs) No. We'll get into the others. We'll get into it, but I, I, okay, yeah, no, yeah. The Montreal Echo. Also, I don't get any of them. It's my problem. <laughs> Ottawa Alert. It's like no. Minnesota Superior. Like Lake? Possibly. <laughs> Boston Wicked. I get that one. It's just dumb. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the New York Sound. I don't get that one either. That one sounds like a soccer team to me. Like... It does, and maybe but because it's there's not... the Seattle Sounders, but I'd... okay. Where? Well, here's my other question, though. Like for New York, where is the New York team based? Don't know. Like the city or the state? Don't okay. Because I, in my head, assumed the city, um, but none of them are great. I hope they don't stick. I know they're not good. They're not good. There's so much excitement over a women's professional hockey league. And then you throw shitty names like that out there. I, yeah. And I know I can't think of anything that would be better. But like thinking about like the WNBA, like the New York Liberty. Great name. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
The only reason I like the Toronto torch is because I can actually picture branding and everything around that. The rest of these, uh-uh. Like, what's gonna look? What's your logo gonna look like? The Boston one, you could do something like witchy, and that might be fun. It could be fun. It could be like, fun. I- <laughs> but no, these these were not good. These were not good. Yeah, y'all send us notes. Let us know what you think. But mm-hmm. I find it fascinating that these are what the trademarks were. Yeah. That was what submitted was submitted for. Mm-hmm. We'll see. We'll keep you posted. And yeah, we'll. I mean, they're going to have to announce the name soon because if you're starting off the season in January, we're only a couple months away from that. That's true. And it takes a minute to brand stuff. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Maybe we that will get to be in anything goes period. We can rank the PWHL. Uh, names or branding or whatever once they're finally announced we definitely will have to do that Mm -hmm. we -hmm. should also like run the names through like mid journey and see what they come up with yeah as logos that would be fun (laughs) anyway (laughs) anyway (laughs) tell us what you think hit us up on the gram or twitter because we refuse to call it x tell us what you think about these names um and with that i think that wraps up our news section We'll be right back with more in period two. All right, we are back for period number two. And today we're going to talk about something we probably should have brought up in season one, and we didn't. And that is the different positions that the players have on a hockey team. That is true. We probably should have told you this First, we were assuming that even though this podcast is an educational hockey podcast, you came in with some knowledge, but we shouldn't have assumed, so we're going to fix that today. We are. So, there are six players for each team on the ice at a time. Who are they, Muffy? (laughs) Three forwards, two defensemen, and a goaltender. The goaltender is pretty self-explanatory. The goaltender is pretty self-explanatory. It's the guy who has a lot more padding than everybody else standing in front of the net. He tends the goal. Yes. (laughs) They're generally the weirdest guys on the ice. They are. They are. (laughs) They have some weird superstitions and rituals and whatnot that they do to prepare for a game. Yeah. One one of the anything goes. We're gonna have to like break down weird superstitions. Ooh, that would do. be a fun one. Yeah, I've already got a few in my head. More oh, to come. More to come. <laughs> All right. So then let's talk about defensemen. There are two of them. What do they do, Muffy? <laughs> well, I mean, they're on defense. They try to keep the uh, opposing team from getting the puck in the net, getting into the zone. And where? Where do they usually play? And also, what is the zone? <laughs> so many things. So many things. <gasps> um, so they typically... I don't know how to answer your first question of where they typically are. Because in the face-off circle, they're typically in the back. But yes. that's not always what happens on the ice when you're setting up a play. <laughs> okay, let's talk about it in terms of like... Peewee hockey when you're first starting off. We're not talking about, like, Victor Hedman. (laughs) Well, Victor Hedman is a a special defenseman because sometimes he likes to pretend he's a forward. Right. Let's talk about, like, your average Joe Blow, Bogosian-type 
defensemen. Your stay at, let's talk about your stay at home defensemen. All right. Well, they typically stay a little bit further back from the play so that they're closer to defending their own area of the ice, their own zone. And if that team, if our team is on offense and has the puck and is, you know, shooting it at the net, the defenseman again will stay a little bit further back towards that blue line so that if the puck comes out of there, they can chase after it and try and get it back or keep the other team from going down the ice. Yeah. A lot of times they're also like the bigger dudes. This is just generalizations. I mean, there are a lot of defensemen who are not gigantic and are super speedy, but then there are some that like generally the guys that you see that are bigger dudes, they're like broad, like (laughs) they look like a brick wall. Those are usually your defensemen. Usually. Usually. Every so often you get a forward like that too. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then let's talk about the forwards, because there are three of them on the ice at a time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Two of them are considered wingers. Mm -hmm. You got a left wing and a right wing. One's on the left, one's on the right. Yes. And then you have a center. They take the face-offs. Usually. Usually. Sometimes they get kicked out of the (laughs) circle, and you have to have somebody else come in. We'll talk about that in another episode. (laughs) Because now we're getting into the nitty-gritty. But they are the offensive players who are zipping down the ice, trying to get the puck in the net. Yeah. What else am I missing about wingers or forwards? Well, sometimes with the wingers, you'll notice, like, depending if they're a right-hand or a left-handed shot, sometimes that will determine what they will typically play. It's true. Because you're going to want a guy... Not always, but again, if we're hockey one out one it, you're going to want a guy who's like, they're shooting the puck from the side that they're playing. Mm-hmm. It, it, it doesn't always make a difference, but it, it kind of helps. Sometimes it does. <laughs> it usually will come into play like if when they, you see people getting those like, there's like a little bit of room in like the corners of the net and like it just helps. But, you know. Mm-hmm. The guy, the forwards are usually the fast guys. I would also say usually the wingers are the guys that are like the super fast guys. That is true too. Because they're zipping up and down and back. Yes. They make a lot of the plays. Having a good centerman is just key if you are wanting to win face-offs because usually if you win a face-off, you're determining the play for the next time in between stoppages of plays. So, you know, you want a guy who can... Get that puck as soon as it hits the floor and mm-hmm. knows how to pass it. Anything else about the positions? Um, You typically have four lines of forwards. So you got three people mm-hmm. on each line and they rotate through those lines. And then you have defensive pairs. You got three sets of defensive pairs. And then two goaltenders because, you know... If somebody gets hurt, you need that backup goalie. Yep. Or or if, you know, the other team scores too many goals on that goalie. That too. Like, I was just at a game where within the first, you know, I think like 10 minutes of the game, they changed the goalie. That does <laughs> happen sometimes. You get three quick goals on a goalie. Sometimes you just need to... You need to you need to switch it up. Switch it up. So it's an off night. Sometimes it's an off night for your goaltender. You got to switch them out. Yeah, and sometimes you'll see teams um, 
play with a seventh defenseman, mm-hmm. which means your usually your fourth line is down a forward, and you'll they'll rotate out some of the top players, usually from the first and second line, to try to beef up some offense. And again, if it's a team where there might be a little more bruiser of a style, or they've got guys that are really great at shooting like the lightning do this a lot when they're playing like Mm -hmm. Toronto or you know you know when you've got your like Austin Matthews Connor McDavid's the guys that like to shoot yes a lot and again this goes back to the lightning and Victor Hedman sometimes thinking he's a forward because you will see him get right up all in there chasing after the puck into the offensive zone Yeah, and then one of the forwards will have to drop back, which doesn't always work out to our advantage. But when he scores a goal, it's it's really it's really quite nice. I think if you watch hockey now and you go back and look at like I would even say in the nineties, the positions were much more rigid Mm -hmm. at a certain point. I feel like today there's a lot of there's a lot more cycling, and by cycling I mean if you watch them play, like they're going in like. They're literally on and off the bench. On and off the bench, and then cycling in like circles, depending on what style oh, they're playing. I see playing. what you're saying. I thought you meant cycling through the lines. Well, they cycle through the line. Yeah, they'll cycle through the lines pretty, pretty fast. But, but then it's always fun to watch like the time and like who's been on the mm-hmm. ice the longest. Like defensemen typically will be on the ice a lot longer than other people. The because go- there's less of them. Because there's less of them. Um, but you know they don't count the goalies in that because they're sort of there the whole time. <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> 60 minutes of play. 60 minutes of play. I feel like that's the basics of the positions, right? I think so. All right. Got any questions? Let us know. Yeah, we'll call the rep on period two. And we'll be back in just a minute for period three. Welcome back to period three, the anything goes period, where we talk about anything related to the sport of hockey. Sometimes it is fun trivia sometimes it is you know what snacks are you eating at the game and today because we are in native american heritage month i thought that it might be cool to dive into the possibly one of the first indigenous americans to play in the nhl have you heard of him muffy would this be clarence taffy abel it would be. <laughs> so why we say he may be the first is because he actually had to hide his Chippewa identity from not just the athletic world, but from the world of uh, America in the early 1920s because he and his family were afraid that if they talked about it openly – he and his siblings would have been taken away and put into boarding schools, which at the time were known to not be great places. Um, They were known for stopping kids from speaking their native language and practicing their cultures and traditions. So because Taffy could pass as white, that is what his family chose to do, which from a 2023 perspective is really sad, but we should still talk about him and we should Mm -hmm. still celebrate him because not only was he probably the first indigenous player, American player to play in the NHL, he was the first Native American player to play in the Winter Olympics representing the United States. And that 
That we definitely know for sure. And that was in the 1924 Winter Olympics. That was almost 100 years ago. That was almost 100 (laughs) years ago. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. Crazy. But very cool. And I'm happy you're bringing this topic up today for our Anything Goes. Right? And Muffy, much like you, he's a Michigander. What up? (laughs) So he is from northern Michigan. um, And according to Aaron Payment, a current chairman of Abel's tribe, he said that around that time, indigenous people were welcome to certain circles, but not others. And hockey was one of the places where people could cross that imaginary line that was set and be accepted. I find this very interesting given the current state Mm -hmm. of acceptance in hockey and all of the issues that have come up with the theme nights and, you know, having to create the Mm -hmm. diversity alliance and, you know, all of those things. I find this fascinating that in the early 1900s, it was much more accepting than it seems to be right now. And to a degree. I mean, it's one of those things where, to be honest, people probably knew he was Native. They just didn't talk about it because he mm-hmm. he looked a certain way. And it, it is fascinating. It is fascinating that how sometimes things change and they stay the same. And because... At some point, we'll talk about Willie O'Ree. Willie O'Ree had a much harder time than Taffy because of the way he looked, because he physically looked different mm-hmm. because he was black. It's a, it's fascinating. And, you know, I think some of this is also, you know, he's coming up through amateurs. It's a different – it's different. The NHL is not what we think of it as today. Right. And, you know, when he was playing, he didn't self-identify out of fear – that, you know, some of those opportunities that he was getting would be taken away even though he was starting to rise through the ranks of the sports. He started playing in high school because he he passed for white, so he went to a white high school, and they played on a makeshift rink, which I feel like, I'm not from Michigan, but I feel like that's probably a thing that happens a lot up there. It's very on brand. <laughs> mm-hmm. We had a makeshift uh, ice rink in my backyard one year. I mean... In New Jersey, it never really ever got that cold, so (laughs) I think there was, like, one outdoor rink where I was, which was very fun to go to, but it was, like, we were always like, oh, my God, it's going to melt on, like, the Tuesday after it freezes. Um, So when Taffy's father died, he became the sole breadwinner for his family, so he started working as a janitor and playing in amateur hockey to support his mom and his sisters. Um, By all accounts, he... Could have played in the league today based on his size. He was six foot one. Wow. 225 pounds. He was a big guy. He was a skilled guy. He was known for having one of the heaviest checks of the time. And they nicknamed him the Michigan Mountain. Um, honestly, when you, it sounds like you read about his personality and like his size, he kind of reminded me of like an early Pat Maroon. Huh, I like it. I like it. You know, like. Skilled, but big, and could beat you up when necessary. (laughs) Um, And then in 1924, he was recruited to be on the U.S. Olympic team. He didn't have enough money to travel to France, so he relied on friends to help him, and he was able to get there. That's awesome. Isn't that awesome? Very good friends. Very good friends. Very good friends, because even back then, you know that the Olympics and representing your country is an amazing opportunity, mm-hmm. and especially if you're doing it as somebody who whose people 
we're first here. That's got to be a whole... I can't even imagine what that must be like, but yeah. you're playing the sport, and not only was he on the team, this goes to show you his character. He was elected the captain of that 1924 hockey team, and he was selected by the entire U.S. delegation to hold the flag. That's a huge deal. I mean, Isn't even it? this to this day, whoever is selected to you know carry the flag in for the opening ceremonies is a huge, huge deal. It's huge. You you know you're. You're going to be the person that's in all of the press images. You're going to be the person that if anyone talks to you, they're going to talk to you. Which, again, having to do this kind of under the cloak of not really fully being able to be open about who you are is insane. But he did it. And, mm -hmm. you know, we'll get into it in a, in a bit. But it, it also sounds like some of the fear came from, like, his family and his mother right. Uh, I'm jumping ahead, but after That's okay. his NHL career, he he didn't mention that he was Native American until after his mom passed away because she still had that fear, even though we were now getting into the, like, 50s and 60s. Um, but, yeah, he captained that NHL team. He held the flag. The Olympic um, team. The Olympic team. Thank you. No worries. <laughs> Words are hard. Um, it happens. It happens to the best of us. It happens. It does. And then he played eight seasons in the NHL um, for the New York Rangers and the Chicago Blackhawks, which also that's, you know. You know, we can get into this at a different point with the Blackhawks, but when I started doing a little more digging into the name of the team, it is named after like a specific chief who was yes. Blackhawk. Yes, but still, like there has to be like a total mind fuck yes but having that piece to me made it different than when it's like named after a full tribe or you know yeah. like the washington redskins yeah no that was that was just straight up racist um but he helped both teams yes. win stanley cups so not only was he an olympian he was a stanley cup winner which also means if you go to the Hockey Hall of Fame, you can find his name on one of the cups or on multiple cups, actually. Well, rings, rings of the cup. Um, and he did all of this again, still under, under hiding, under the cloud of who he was because he was afraid that he would get fired just by what he looked like. It's also impressive that he won stanley cups with both the rangers and the blackhawks because of the original six teams they are the ones who have won it the least yes it also just goes to show you he was good mm -hmm. like he's a really good player who broke barriers that we just pigeonholed or not pigeonhole we just memory hold mm -hmm. because and we'll get it we'll get into it but essentially the nhl still to this day does not recognize him as one of the first indigenous players because they claim they didn't keep demographic records then. Sure. That sounds suspect. That sounds suspect, right? And that because he didn't identify as native when he played, I was like, that's a BS because back to after he retired and his mother passed away, he did tell people that he was Chippewa. He did tell people he was native. He started an amateur hockey league up in northern Michigan and named it after 
I don't remember exactly. It's in. We'll post in the show notes a um, Washington Post article that goes into more detail about this. But there was something that he named it after something, something, a tradition with his mother. So it was like super obvious. Mm-hmm. So it's weird to me that the NHL, who is pushing diversity, and I am all for all of those efforts, and I think everything that they've been doing with black and African-American players and pushing them into prominence is great. But this is like, this is PR gold here, people. Right. Talk about it. (laughs) Especially (laughs) like when you know, based on the timing and when he was playing and when he shared his cultural background, like you have to still just be able to timeline it out and figure it out. (laughs) Yes. It's so... Strange. It's so strange to me that they don't talk about it. You would think this guy would be celebrated. So that's a high-level view of the Taffy Abel story. Like I said, we'll put links in the show notes so you can learn more. But we should be talking about this guy. He's He seems like a cool guy. Absolutely. Thank you for this little history lesson, Stephanie. Anytime, anytime. And with that, I guess the show's over. I always get sad when the show's over. It is pretty sad, but we'll be back again in just a couple weeks. And until then, you can follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, still refusing to call it X. (laughs) You can find us at Five Hole Podcast. You can also send us an email at shutyourfivewholepodcast at gmail.com. And we look forward to sharing more hockey news with you next time. Thanks. Bye.